Uh, I want to welcome you, and I also want to say today was ob for everybody, not just you. Uh, we don't normally uh, stand and, and read scripture uh, ahead of time, but of course, as we were doing that this morning, I hope you know why I asked Matt to do that for us. Uh, as we were doing that, you saw in the text that that's what they were doing when Ezra read. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the kids down to junior church. I, I know that they're probably itching, itching to go, so you guys can can go down there this morning. But for the rest of us, if you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Nehemiah. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a copy, you can find one in the pew backs in, in front of you. If, uh, if you don't know exactly where Nehemiah is, it's in the Old Testament. You can use the table of contents to find the page number on the pew Bibles um, because I'm not going to have scripture text on the screen. Um, so you're going to have to follow along in your copy of God's Word. And actually, I want to ask you, and, and this is not, uh, don't, don't hold yours up and be prideful about this, but all of us probably... All of us have one of these. Now, whether you brought it today or not, that's inconsequential. We have them in the, in, the, in the pews, but you probably should be bringing your Bible to church if you didn't. But you have one at home, right? Grandma has one. Uh, Uncle Steve has one, right? Uh, Brother Bob has one, right? And, and so, uh, but we are blessed. Have you ever thought about how blessed we are to have a copy of God's Word? And some of our Bibles, you know, some of them we have special cases for the Bibles. Uh, some of them we have special memories with our Bibles. Maybe somebody who we love gave them to us. Um, some of us, I know that there's at least one in here who's a Bible collector, or at least was at one point, right? And so Bibles, believe it or not, you can spend a lot of money on Bibles, right? Uh, you, you can get some Bibles for almost uh, free at Goodwill, and then you can have Bibles. Uh, this one was a gift to me. Um, it's it's a, a goatskin leather, and I, I love it dearly. Um, but here's the deal. A free Bible that you can get from a Gideon is the same word of God as what I've got in my Bible, as what you've got in yours. Right now there's different translations. We use ESV here. But have you ever sat and thought just for a minute how lucky you are? I guess lucky isn't the right word. How blessed we are to have God's word and to have it like this. In the text that we read or that Matt read for us, and by the way, he did a great job. Some of those names are hard, right? And so thank you, Matt, for doing that. That was a sneaky trick I played on him because uh, I knew there was all those names. Um, but they had a scroll. They didn't have what we call the, the codex, the, the book version. And so, um, but we are blessed. And as we look at Nehemiah, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Is I want to say we need to look to this book. And so in Nehemiah 8 is, we're going to be, is, is, is where we're at, but we are blessed to have a copy of the word. There's been lots of talk so far in Nehemiah about the building of the wall, and Nehemiah is leaving the building of the wall to now focus on the building of the people. And if we know the history of the text that we're going to talk about today, or just in general, God cares way more about the building of people than he does about the building of a wall. Amen? And so God's word forms God's people. God's word uh, is a joy and it is our strength. And so if you are part of God's people, then you are being formed by this word or you ought to be formed by this word. If you are part of God's people, then I'm going to argue then we should, we should love this word. We should revel in this word. And the Jews were known as the people of the book. And we see that in texts like today for Nehemiah chapter 8 as they were reading the scroll. But Christians ought to be known as the people of the book. And so as we look to the book, we're going to kind of practice today what they did in Nehemiah chapter 8. So here's what we've already seen, right? We've, we've seen the assembly of the people. Check. 
Uh, we've seen the request to desire the reading of the Torah. I'm just assuming that that's your desire because you came here today, that we're going to read God's word. We already did that, so check. Um, the opening of the scroll, the people standing in prayer. I kind of forced that upon you, but, you know, check, okay? Uh, and then we see the, uh, the, the, the praise of Ezra, the response of the people in worship, uh, which we're, we have, we've done some. We're continuing now. We will do again. We've seen the sermon and instruction. That's coming. I know you're waiting with bated breath. The reading of the law, the oral explanation, and, and then eventually the departure for a fellowship meal. And by God's grace, check. We've got sandwiches downstairs. And so if you're new or visiting, we have plenty we'd love for you to stay, right? Um, so I want to talk today about looking to the book as people of the book. I've got five what I think are progressive principles that we ought to practice as people of the book. We ought to desire as people of the book. And so if we could pray before we open up this book, let's do that. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And we ask you to bless the hearing and the reading and the study, the exposition, the application of your word, for you are worthy. We thank you for giving us this wonderful gift of your love letter to us. Help us to not only look to the book, but be people of the book. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, the text is not going to be on the screen. You'll have to follow along in your copy. Um, but I want you to go to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. The first step is we need to listen. And this, maybe you think, yeah, duh. Well, okay, walk with me though, right? So I want you to see in Nehemiah 8, 1 through 3, I'm going to pick out some phrases in here. You can follow along and see if you can keep up with me. But I want you to see, firstly, listening means that they were also united. The, all the people gathered as one man, it says. Both men and women and all who could understand what they had heard. Meaning even children. Uh, and so we know in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy talks about we're supposed to lead our children up. We're supposed to teach them the word as we walk along the way, as we sit down in, the, in, in, the, in our homes, as we, as we raise and as we go to bed. And So both men and women, all who could understand. And so also in synagogue, temple worship, it was rare for women to be with the men. They were segregated by uh, gender. And so they were all together at this point, and this was a resurgence for the people after the building of the wall. And it says, in the presence of the men and the women and all who could understand all the people. And so I, I want to ask, what brought you here today? And I don't mean by that, what kind of car do you drive? <laughs> what I mean is, listen, there are a lot of things that bring us together. Lots of things. Birthday parties, anniversaries, holidays, a good barbecue, right? A sports game. There are lots of things that bring us together. There is only one thing that brings unity. And that's God's word. That's God. You know, in this beautiful word, he tells us there will be a day where every tribe and every people and every nation will come before him and they will all worship the God who creates, the God who saves. And so it is necessary for us to be united over the word of God. I mean, what do we stand for as Christians if we don't stand for the word of God? It's the second thing. The people were enthusiastic listeners. Again, verses 1 through 3. They told Ezra. They didn't ask. 
They told Ezra, Ezra, bring out your books, brother. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And then it says that he read from it facing them. And then check this out. This will show your heart this morning, right? From early morning until midday. A lot longer than I'm going to preach, okay? Uh, and, and Ezra read. And so what's the condition of your heart on Sunday mornings? Are you excited to hear the word of God read and preached. They were enthusiastic listeners. They were hanging on every word of Ezra. Now listen, I, I'm no Ezra, okay? This man of God, he's recorded in scripture. This is a, a marvelous event recorded for us. But the question I have still remains, what's your heart condition on Sunday mornings? How often do we wake up and we think to ourselves, oh, I gotta get ready for church again. It should be, man, I get to go to church again. Do you understand the gravity that we have as Americans to, for, first of all, for you to own a copy and not be condemned for that, but then also for you to bring your copy and to turn to it publicly and to read it corporately and openly? Do you understand that this is being broadcast on live media right now? This is crazy for most of the world. Are you enthusiastic about hearing the word? Because you should be. Why, pastor? Well, I'm glad that you asked. You know, Jesus asked them, what did you go out to see? He asked them basically, did you go out to be entertained? Did you go out to see a sight? Or did you go out because you were hungry for the word of God to be preached? John the Baptist, Jesus was bringing the word of God. And so here's another heart question. How would you feel this morning Knee-jerk reaction, no cheating. How would you feel this morning if all of a sudden I told you, so we're going to imitate this and I'm going to preach for three hours this morning? Yeah. <laughs> Here's a fact. If you're a note taker, I like this statement. Maybe jot it down. God never leaves a heart hungry at the table of his word. Do you know that if you come enthusiastically wanting to hear from God's word in the morning, that the preacher, if he's, if he's reading God's word, and the rest of his sermon is just awful, you can still get something from it because God's word doesn't return void. God never leaves a hungry heart waiting at his table. He says, blessed are those who are hungry and who are thirst, for they're going to be filled. And so I want to ask you, are you enthusiastic about hearing the word? The next one was that the people were not just united, they weren't just enthusiastic in their listening, but they were also attentive. I see y'all. I know those of you who had rough nights. I understand that sometimes I just kind of drone on and that just, you know, Ferris Bueller style that just puts you to sleep in the pew. Charles Spurgeon said that it is a sin to bore people with your preaching. And I agree with that. And so trust me, I try really hard, okay? But in the text, now we're looking at verse 3 through 5. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. As he opened it, all the people stood. Does this Bible being the actual word of God actually move you? Because again... 
if you're enthusiastic, if you're attentive, you know that when I preach, I, I can't tell you, and it doesn't matter my preaching, any preacher that's, that's expositing God's word, he's got something for you. I mean, how many of you, don't show your hands, this is a rhetorical question, but how many of you have been to different church services and the preacher is preaching the text and you think to yourself, was that dude looking in my window like this week? Because that's for me. You know, we should be attentive. God is speaking to us this morning. Do you, do you get that? I have the privilege of being a conduit for God to speak to your souls individually, wherever you're at, through his word this morning. It may be the scripture's delivery, but it's never the scripture's deliverer. Amen? I'll say that again in case that was too fast for you. It may be the way that the scriptures are delivered, but it's never the deliverer of scripture. We worship God, not the Bible, right? But we only know God through the Bible. This is his letter to us. So we should want to hear it. Do you want to hear him this morning? I hope so. Last is that they were responsive. Before we move on to the next L here, the people were responsive. Look at verses five through six there as I pull out some text. In the sight of all the people, it says, they were paying attention, they were watching. As he opened it, all the people stood. There was a physical response. There was a mental response. They were watching, they were waiting. They asked him to bring it out. There was a physical response. They, they stood and it says, all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So there was a mental response, a physical response, and it says in the text, a heart response, because it drove them to worship. So do you believe that this book has power in it? Do you believe that this word has power in it? Because if you do believe that, it should draw you to a response. It should force you to deal with it. It should force you to interact with it. You see, these people, they can't help but be moved to worship by the word of God. Do you want revival in your home? Do you want revival in your family? Do you want revival in this church, in this city, in this nation? Well then, brother and sister, we've got to be looking to the book. We've got to be people of the book. God's word is what brings life and hope. If a man's home was on fire and he sat at the table while the room burned around him, you would plead for him to respond and flee from certain destruction. If you're old enough, you remember there used to be a meme about that. This book is no different. It protects and warns and demands us to respond if we're listening. So do you want to see God work in your life? I hope that you do. I want to see God work in your life. And so because of that, we have to respond to his word. We have to listen to his word. So not only did they listen, and that's good, uh, but they also sought to learn. We must seek to learn from the word. And so firstly, we see that the people were submissive. We're now in verse 7. I'm going to skip the names. I put that torture on Matt, and we're going to go to, they helped these people, all these leaders, they helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Listen, I'm I'm sorry to let you in on this dirty little secret. I don't have all the answers. If you thought that I did, then, you you know, one of us was kidding the other. I I don't know what to tell you about that. But I don't have all the answers, and I I know this for a fact, neither do you, but I know where we can both go to get them. It's right here. 
I also want to ask you, what gives these men in this scripture in verse 7, what gives those men the authority to teach? Well, you know, it appears God did. Because their names are recorded. This is heralded as a good thing. Ezra is the one who's opening the scripture. Probably Ezra and Nehemiah between the two of them. I just have to imagine that they kind of took stock of the Bible scholars in Jerusalem during this time and they picked them for it. Uh, I kind of glossed over this or or we're not there yet. I'm I'm not exactly sure because I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. But it says that he stood up on this platform, which by the way, this is like the very first like sermon preaching thing, right? So that's why we have pulpits, why we have platforms, why we do sermons the way we do. Did you know this went all the way back to the Old Testament? Kind of cool right? Uh, but anyway, it, this, this platform was prepared at the same time as the wall. Otherwise, how would it have been there? It's not like they just threw a bunch of sticks together and then piled on top of it. So these leaders were pre-picked by Nehemiah and Ezra, I'm, I'm guessing, to help understand this. And so I know I don't have all the answers. I know you don't all have all the answers, but this is where all the answers are. And I want to ask you this morning, are you submissive to the word of God? Because this goes to the word of God, not just these people who are in positions of authority. These men were to teach these people. Who gave them that authority? God did. What were they to teach? They were to teach the word of God. And so I guess what I'm asking is, if the Bible says it, are you going to receive it? Because that's what submission looks like. The word, for that to take root in our hearts, the soil must not be hard. The word both tills the heart soil and also implants the word in it for it to take root. But we must be submissive. Second part of learning is we must be teachable. The people were teachable. If you see in uh, 8 and 9, it says they read from the book of the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Ah, Listen, we just have to pause there for a minute. Are you blessed by that? You should be. You should be. And here's why. We sometimes think, I sometimes think, I'm guessing you sometimes think, unless I'm like super weird, you can tell me I'm weird, that's fine, I won't be offended. But here's the deal, I think sometimes we think that everyone else can understand the Bible and it's so clear to them, but we're the ones that somehow don't understand it. Do you see this in the text right here? Look what it says. They read from the book of the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so the people could understand the reading. You are not alone. Some things in this book are hard to understand. Some things in this book, you you need to devote your life to studying and have somebody help teach you that. Did you know that I read commentaries? Did you know that I went to seminary? I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that to say, did you know I too must be teachable? I too must search the scriptures? This is a blessing to me. It tells me that these people who are growing up in this time still need somebody to help them understand the reading. Jesus taught. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching with authority. And the people were moved by his teaching because he was teaching it clearly and giving them the sense. That's what expositional preaching is, is just seeking to take a text like Nehemiah 8, Old Testament, after they built the wall, and then I get the joy of saying, how does that apply to people in 2022? This is how. I know that these people had a a better teacher than you do in their pastor. But did you know that all of us have a better teacher than them? We have the Holy Spirit as our teacher. Jesus sent him. 
He said that he would be with us always and that he would give us the understanding. And so, yeah, we have to work to understand, but we will never be disappointed. And so I want to go to the next point by saying, so why don't you listen, because you might learn something this morning, right? And so the the next thing that we see that they saw in the text is, is that they were grieved by what they learned. And so, uh, unfortunately, brother or sister, sometimes the word is a hard word. It says in verse 9b, the section there, they are instructed, do not mourn or weep. It says, for all the people wept as they heard the word. And so I want to encourage you, Bible study is not for the faint of heart. There are some tough things in this book. We just got done with Lamentations. I was talking with somebody the other day, and I don't know if you remember, but I do. In the book of Lamentations, it talks about how things were so bad that families had to consume one another. And I said then, and I'll tell you now, and it's not my job to to keep those terrible things. Those are terrible things that happen in Scripture. And it's not my job to shield you from them. God is holy, and we have sinned, Our sin caused separation, which ultimately, if not dealt with, leads to damnation. We should be grieved. When we rightly understand this word, we should be grieved by it. The Bible is a mirror. Without the mirror, we would have no vision of ourselves. And these people wept because they heard in the reading of Scripture the condemnation for their lifestyle. One of the chief things that we learn by Scripture is the depth of our sin before a holy God. And so I want to ask you, is your heart grieved today by the state of this world, by our nation, by the state, by the city you live in, by the neighborhood, by your family, by yourself, and the sin that we have, that we have accumulated over our lifetimes? Because you're right to be grieved. But also, I want you to see the next step is that they were also glad. How can that be? How does that happen? Well, I'm glad that you're asking that because I want for you to be glad too. They were instructed in 10 through 12. It says, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved. Why? For the joy of the Lord is our strength. So do not be grieved in 11. And so 12, to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words. So these words being understood does two things. You see, scriptures like John 3.16 have no joy apart from scriptures like Romans 3.10 through 20. If you all have experienced godly grief, then I want you to be encouraged with godly gladness that this book tells you absolutely the depth of our depravity and the sin that deserves damnation, but it also tells you about a Savior, about a Savior who has paid the penalty for your debt, for your sin, who has set you free, and not only set you free, but given you an inheritance of all the heavenly places, and one day will bring you to be with himself forevermore. Amen. I don't know. We should stand for that. We should dance. Right? We should sing. That's why we sing songs. That's why we gather together. There is more than just grief in this book. There is gladness. And so do you understand the word of God, beloved? If you do, then let us rejoice. Let us be grieved and let us rejoice. 
Let us deal with the mourning because that gives way to mirth. Even look at Lamentations, even in the face of their grief and their suffering, he said, your mercies are new every morning. And that is true today as it was then. It's as true for you as it was for them. And so as we move on to the next part here, I pray that your heart is rejoicing in the word because we listen to the word to learn from the word so that we can lead by the word. That's what we are supposed to be doing, leading by the word. Every single one of us, not just pastors or elders or deacons, not just men, although in the household, right, it's your responsibility to lead the family well. But what about when dad's not there, right? Moms, you have children, you're supposed to lead them, right? Uh, maybe singles, right? Who do you lead? Whoever's in your sphere of influence. Christians are supposed to be leaders. It says go into all the world, right? Teaching them to observe. We're supposed to teach, we're supposed to lead. And so we lead one of the ways is the people were studious. I want you to see that in 13 through 14. It says the heads of the father's households, so they're seeking to do what Deuteronomy 6 talks about. It says they came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And as they did, they found it written in the law. And so this is our responsibility for leading. Leaders must fulfill this duty. It's not enough for you to be a listener. You have to pursue being a learner, James 1.22, right? And so I, this is a hard word, but I just want to argue this this morning. I want to argue that if you do not have a hunger and a thirst for more of the word of God, you ought to ask yourself why. And I believe you ought to be troubled by that. These people had just eaten the fat of the land. In essence, they had just had a Thanksgiving Day meal, and now they were saying, that was great, but now it's time for the real food. Now it's time for the real feast. They would say, they would understand like we ought to. Psalm 19, 7 through 11, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward they would say and we should say that too malnourishment is always an ailment it is never an asset and for us to lead well we need to be studious we need to be students of the word Bereans if you will Hebrews rebukes us he says for this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and oracles. You need milk and not solid food, he says. So let us grow, beloved. Let us strive to be students of the word. And then also, uh, the people were encouraging one another. This is how they're leading. They're leading by being students. They're leading by being encouraging. In verse 15, it says, they should proclaim it and publish it in their towns. Go out to the hills and bring branches. They could not help but talk about what they sought to do. The leaders went to learn from Ezra and from the other scribes and from the other leaders. And then when they learned what they were supposed to learn, they went back and they told other people about it. And they encouraged them to do the same. What an encouragement you are to the rest of the body when you are living and leading 
by the word. And what a discouragement it is when we watch one another go downhill. What a discouragement it is when those who are in positions of leadership go downhill. With this many people in this room, I'm guessing that there are some of you that have been part of churches in the past that for whatever reason, there was a failure of leadership and it was absolutely devastating to the church and to the people who are in it. Do you know that same thing is true when it comes to your own personal family? To your own children? To your spouses? To the people who you work with? To the people on Facebook and Twitter as you post those little Christian memes and then all of a sudden there's something else that happens in your life? We need to be encouraging one another. Not faking it, right? But we need to be a genuine encouragement to one another saying, hey, you can do this. We can do this because Christ is empowering us. And we can lead well. And they were also, they did this by example. This is this old, put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. But in 16 and then jumping down to 18, so the people went out. They made booths for themselves, each on his own roof. I can't control what you do, but I can control what I do. This is what these leaders did. They said, listen, we're commanded to go build booths, so I can't make everybody else build booths, but I can build my own booth. And so they built them on their roofs. Their roofs were flat. They would do that back then. This was to commemorate their time leaving uh, Egypt. So during the times of Exodus, when they were wandering in the wilderness, they would send up these little tents. And so this was to remember God's faithfulness. It says in 18 that they kept the feast of seven days according to the rule. We all know that talk is cheap. We all know that actions speak louder than words. Practice what you preach. All these terminologies. I want to ask you, do you have zeal to do what God commands? There is a world of people out there who are watching. There's a world of people out there who are watching. They're watching for two reasons and two reasons only. Some of them are watching So that when we fail, they can say, aha, I got you. I knew you were a phony, and I knew you were a hypocrite, and I knew this whole thing's fake. And so, boom, in your face. There's a second group of people that are watching that are saying, man, I hope this is true, and I hope this is real, and they're the proof for it. And if if, if, if they can do it, then I guess I can too. And those are the only two groups of people out there. But rest assured that people are watching. There's a world of people out there who are not willing to listen because we are unwilling to lead. And so I want to ask you, where are you most tempted to fudge the numbers? Where are you most tempted to bend the rule? Let's be zealous for the upholding of God's word. Let's be an example to one another as well as those who don't know Christ. Let us lead well. So that brings me to the fourth section here. We, we listen to the word so that we can learn from the word. Are you seeing the progression here? So we listen to the word so that we can learn from the word because we have been charged to lead by the word. And so that brings us to the ultimate, well, not quite. There's one more, life in the word. Nehemiah eight seventeen. all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity. They understood what captivity was, and so that's why they were thankful. Life in the Word breeds thankfulness. God had protected them in Egypt and provided for them during the Exodus. 
God had preserved them in the captivity of Babylon, and now they're back. They understood captivity. They understood what it meant to be released from captivity, released from bondage. They understood what it meant to be bought back. Do you, I mean, in the physical sense too, not just the spiritual sense. We, we tend to understand the spiritual sense, I, I, I hope, but in the physical sense, do you remember just a couple chapters before? Nehemiah was like, what are you guys doing? Selling each other and getting land from each other because you're, you're trading people for land and you're selling your sons and daughters and we just bought you back from the Assyrians and the Babylonians and then you're selling each other to one another. What is wrong with you guys? Let's not do this. And these people are thankful are you thankful? Because they were thankful, they, they knew that it was their ability to be a witness. It says in 17, from, from the days, this is cool too, right? So just come with me. From the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. Now, this is hyperbole, which means that they still had these feasts, because we, we would tend to think, oh, they... They didn't do, it says, the, the whole scripture, all the assembly to those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua to the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. Not true. We see this in scripture in other areas, right? That they had, it's in Kings, it's in Chronicles. The point that is recorded in the text is this. I don't know if you guys know this song. It's, I don't know. You can judge me later. Ain't no party like a West Coast party because the West Coast party don't stop, right? That's what Nehemiah is saying in the text. There might have been booths before. There might have been parties before, but not like this one, bro, because we're on the second exodus. We're on the second uncaptivity. We're ready to keep the booths, baby. That's what Nehemiah is saying in the text. Do you get that from it? Because that's what he's saying. So there was times before when they did this, but not like this. This is hyperbole. This is a witness. This is a witness to all those who are in Jerusalem or all those who are in Judea. Those are a witness to Sanballat, right? And all those other guys who are trying to perfunctory mess up their stuff. This is a witness. Have you ever seen anyone cry while they're licking an ice cream cone? Because I have not. I said this to my wife. I was like, How, how's that going to play? She says, there's probably a toddler out there. And I was like, you can't say that. Here's my point. Brother or sister in Christ, we ought to be the most joy-filled, rejoicing people on the face of this planet, and it ought to be contagious. Do you get that? There might be joy, but there ain't no joy like a Christian's joy, because a Christian's joy don't stop. Do you understand? Also, the people had confidence. In 18, day by day, from first to last, from the first day to the last day, seven days, and on the eighth day, according to the rule. Why do people have confidence? Why can we live a life with confidence? Because we know that God is the God from first to last, that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, that he is this unseen, and that God will be with us from first to last, that he was, he is, and he will be. See, the people of the book, we ought to be the most joy-filled people on earth. It says in the text, the joy of the Lord is our strength, and that's true. Because we have found life, and Jesus says not only life, life abundant, 
life that the world out there cannot understand, it cannot perceive because they were born in death just like we, but we were adopted and we were resurrected into Christ. And we found that truth by this word. And so we ought to be people of the book. Listen, 10 days from now, not in our world, in Nehemiah's world, 10 days from then, there's about to have a New Year holiday, which is going to be the Day of Atonement. On that annual public declaration of God's mercy, all the uncleanness, all the rebellion of God's people, of all Israel, would be fully, immediately, and irrevocably pardoned by the goats, right? They would lay the sin on the goats. One would go off to the wilderness. The, the other one would be sacrificed, and that would be it. And in this word that we listen to, that we learn from, so that we can lead, because there is life, I hope that you love it. Because in scripture it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then it says, and the word became flesh. So here's the deal. I hope you love this word. Because right now, we don't worship the Bible, we worship God. But here's the deal. Until he brings us home, this is your physical representation of Jesus. It tells you all about him. It tells you how he loves you. It tells you what he's done for you. It tells you what he's doing in you, what he's doing through you. It tells you where you're going to go and who you're going to be, how he's going to get you there. All of that. And one day, one glorious day, we'll be able to put this down and open our arms and embrace the one who died for you. As people of the book, we need to look to the book and we must love the book. So I pray that if you are not absolutely in love with this book, I pray today would be all the evidence and all the reason that you need because of this book tells you of the only one who truly loves you. Let's pray. Holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Words of life, words of hope. They give us strength.